0: Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back to, I mean, this is going to be a crazy episode. I'm just, I'm just going to lay it out there before we even get started. Cody is here as always, and we are going to attempt to make our way through the best players offensively in the NBA
1: right now. Cody, how are you feeling about this? Are you extremely excited? I, I'm excited. I'm nervous. I'm visiting my parents right now, so I feel like this is an away game. Like like the crowd feels a little off. The vibes are different, so I don't know if that's contributing. But uh, this is going to be a conversation. This is going to get some people, some people riled up, I think.
0: Yeah, we don't even really know what we're getting into. Um, one, everyone always gets riled up when you try to kind of select and parse the top players in any category. It really doesn't matter. People just enjoy... Being angry. So, I'm not going to worry about them today. We're going to focus instead on the fact that we've alluded to this conversation many times, which is why we're having it, because there are some interesting philosophical points. There are some interesting um, sort of ranges and concepts to think about between juxtaposing players of different types or sometimes similar types. And certainly what we've seen in team context with some of these guys, what they've done this season. I mean, we are at the end of the day here talking about the best of the best. So that's the goal. Who knows how long it's going to take us. Hopefully we can move with some alacrity and before we get started, I mean we'll just we'll just do our standard kind of roughly 10 guys to talk about, but no matter what you put the number at, there's always going to be more. So who are we not really going to talk about but you might want to get a word in before we before we get to the big hitters. Who who kind of who kind of didn't quite make your your list here
1: well first of all when you were when you were going to describe the speed at which we were going to move in my head i was actually like i hope he says alacrity that feels like the right word here and you you nailed it so this is good we're on the same brain we're we're in sync this is good so the guy the main guy i want to talk about that we're not going to talk about today is kyrie (laughs) irving and i i want to say kyrie irving because i think in a normal season in a season where he plays a normal amount of minutes where he's not sitting however many games that he sat throughout the season he would be in my top 10 like he's showcased to me in the playoffs in the regular season, that he's right, he's one of the better offensive players in the league, but uh just because of the circumstances of the season, I didn't I didn't want to talk about him. Hmm. Um
0: I okay, I guess we can kind of not talk about him because the only way I wouldn't have him as a top ten offensive player this season is probably because of all the missed time. Right. So yeah. I think if he played full time as a as a maybe I don't know if this is a spoiler or not. I don't know what it spoils, but he wouldn't be in my top five. I wouldn't have him at that level, but I don't think I can get skimming the names I have here. Yeah, once I get to about eight or nine guys, it it's hard for me to exclude Kyrie. That's kind of where I see him. But again, if we were to say, because of all the games missed, that hurts your team in the standings, that hurts your team's seating going into the postseason, something like that, then he would fall outside of the the top 10 and I should also add before I forget that the same thing applies to Damian Lillard who is usually uh, uh you know in this conversation as one of the best offensive players in the world but this season has missed a ton of time and is now just completely shelved for the rest of the year
1: yeah exactly is there anyone else that you're you're like I, I feel like we should mention this player because we're not going to talk about him much is there anyone like that still I think that it <laughs> I I feel
0: like I know who you're asking about uh, <laughs> No, no, I am I just only want to talk about the remaining like 13 or 14 players or, or whatever it is. So let me let me start by asking you a question. Because I think a couple of the players we've discussed in a couple of the videos that I've done in the last month or two have sparked this conversation. Of course, at the end of the year, I try to go back and do my annual top 10 players using the method that I've pretty much carried over for years going back to the backpicks top 40 and things like that. It's a pretty specific kind of method that i use to talk about the best players and one of the guys that sparked this conversation right off the bat cody i I know you're nervous i'm just gonna hit you with a fastball high and inside some heat coming at you where does someone like jason tatum fall in this conversation
1: for you so jason tatum was definitely part of the players that i pulled for this where he was kind of i was looking at some numbers but in in my heart of hearts in my heart of hearts, I'd never—I don't think I quite thought he was going to be a top ten player. Maybe, maybe if he's had like this twenty-game run for the entire season, I would consider it more. Uh, his scoring games been nice, but I think when you combine all the aspects of of an offensive game—the creation, the self-creation, the off-ball play—I um, th- I think he's probably sitting right. Like, there's a bunch of guys that are kind of in that like fifteen-ish range. And I would probably lump him around that area, maybe a little above that. Maybe I could slot him like 14, 13-ish, but probably right in there for Jason Tatum.
0: Yeah, okay. That's kind of where I end up with him. I think he's really interesting, one, because of how well he's playing and just continuing to grow. Two, when we talk about the best players in the league, and I think he's certainly emerged into that conversation as a really strong all-NBA guy, his defense is insanely impressive like the fact that he is a two-way forward that is a really good offensive player and then a really good defensive player at that position just gives you so much value and versatility and fit on different teams and things like that. But I kind of had the same thing where I was curious to see if he'd be at the back of my top 10. And as is the case often in basketball with the NBA, and especially right now in 2022, There's just one guy after another after you're like, oh my god, what about him? What about him? What about him? There are just so many good high end offensive talents in the league doing it at at such a great level. Um, same thing for me. He kind of falls in that group outside the top ten.
1: I think what made it difficult almost for this list is I, I have this idea of all these guys that should be considered. But in my opinion, the top six is fairly unassailable, not necessarily order, but I think there's about six, maybe five guys that like I can't really see dropping beneath that level. So that only gives me space with about four or five slots of guys I can play with. So when you're like, all right, here are ten players that have to make it, but you only have five spots to to put them in, that makes the conversation just a lot more difficult when you're when you're picking nits on this.
0: Yeah, this is the horrible part of of the extremely painful part of doing. Top ten lists, if you will, and again today, especially on the eve of the playoffs, the kind of the kind of goal was for us to get a um, I don't know a barometric reading of where the top players kind of sit based on how they're playing, based on what we've seen, based on what we think is going to happen when they hit playoff competition, game planning in the playoffs, and the higher end defenses of the playoffs. So. Yeah, I like any, any. who else do you have, Cody, on this sort of outside looking in? Because for me, I had a group of at least three guys, if not four or five, depending on how we want to lay it out, that are also kind of in that Tatum tier, if you will.
1: Yeah, I think I think the main player that comes to mind there, I didn't really know because I didn't think about them too much, is Devin Booker. And I think Devin Booker is somebody that especially Phoenix fans might be really angry about. He's a great offensive player, but in terms of the ecosystems that the Suns have, I just think they have it all going on there. Like, he's in a really good situation, which is great that he can fit into that. But I think when I started considering all of this together, I was like, I don't know if I can have him much above, like, whatever that 13 to 15-ish range is.
0: Well, so this is why you're here, because we have reached our first fantastic point of philosophical contention. Are you are you saying that you think Devin Booker is the best
1: offensive player on the Suns? Um, Not necessarily. And I think that's the other thing that makes it really difficult. I think the man. It's really interesting because <laughs> I, I don't. Th- I don't think Aiton. I don't think Aiton has an argument to be the best offensive player on the Suns, but he is maybe maybe like the best play finishing big within like an eight, 10 foot range in the NBA. And I think Chris Paul, I don't necessarily know where he slots into all this, but this is one of the better slow down floor generals, mid range pull-up guys. So you have these three guys that kind of are working in concert together, along with just like the elements of Mikael Bridges and Cam Johnson on the sides. And I, I didn't necessarily think that Booker stood out to me as being that much better, including including all of these other guys that he's he's playing next to what Aiton was the guy you met did
0: I hear that right Aiton what about Aiton you said you you were talking about Aiton as one of the best offensive players on the Suns
1: no I said I mean he is one of the best offensive players on the Suns in terms of the fact that he's maybe the best like eight foot play finisher in the NBA
0: no I'm just really enjoying this because the, the, the guy I think is the best offensive player on the Suns is Chris Paul
1: yeah I, I talked about Chris Paul a little bit. I was saying that, and I think his floor general aspect and the the pull up mid and the way that he sets up teammates, I think it's really hard for me to separate Devin Booker and Chris Paul, and I think that those two are kind of co best offensive players, but I also think it's tough when you have Ayton sitting there who's just an excellent player to play next to these kinds of guys.
0: Okay. All right. That that makes that makes sense. Um yeah, Paul I think I I, I think he moves the needle a little bit more than Booker probably if I had to choose, but None of them are in the kind of I don't know where it gets really hard. I'm trying to scan the names I have here where it gets really hard. Probably about 6 or 7 it gets really hard to crack that. And I do I do tend to prefer um a handful of guys. So he's kind of in that same like whatever whatever the numbers come out to be, the 11 to 15, 11th to 15th best offensive player in the NBA right now. What about guys that you can make a case for? Well, you mentioned Booker. I've talked a lot about Booker and Mitchell lately. I prefer Mitchell over Booker for reasons I won't rehash on offense. And Mitchell was another guy like Tatum where we've had the conversations. That's led to this podcast episode. And in my head, I was like, is, is Mitchell going to be a top 10 player? He's also in this group for me. He d- he does not make the,
1: the final cut. Okay. I want to talk about you're, Mitchell you're, later. You're wincing. Uh, How... Uh, Go ahead. Mitchell Mitchell broke my top 10 and okay. he's not even uh number 10. Let's just say that. Well, well, go on. I want to hear more. Do you want me to tell you his ranking right now?
0: No, I care less about the ranking and more about okay. why what it is what it is that you think. I mean, if you're even higher on Mitchell than
1: I am, um I want to I hear about it. So it's tough because when I was thinking about Donovan Mitchell, there's another point guard that's offensively minded that I was kind of comparing back and forth with. And I was going – I'll just bring it up. John Morant is another point guard that I was thinking about when yes. I was directly yes. thinking about Donovan Mitchell. And mm-hmm. to me, philosophically, it's a tough conversation because on one hand with Morant, you have one guy who's like outlier rim pressure, like unbelievable self-generated rim attempts off the bounce for him. But when you take all of the offensive package, the offense the scoring package, Donovan Mitchell is a much more reliable pull-up three-point shooter, catch-and-shoot three-point shooter, uh, much more reliable in the mid-range. Like, he just has more of an offensive package. It's kind of like how we were talking about the Bucks last week, where it's like, I just trust Mitchell a little bit more in a bunch of different situations depending on what you throw at him. And I don't think either of them are great passers. John Morant's probably a better passer than than Donovan Mitchell. But that that extra scoring punch to me uh, made me really value Donovan Mitchell, especially when we see that the Jazz have been an offensive juggernaut for the last couple of years, including the playoffs. And I I couldn't discount that. So I thought that he deserved to be a little bit higher.
0: Yeah, Mitchell's one of these guys that I feel like you should have a broad range right now sitting on the eve of another playoff run where hopefully we get more than one series, but even just having another six games again, 12 or 13 games would be nicer of a sample in the postseason to add to what we've seen in the last two years, because as I've talked about a lot, you can probably get really high on Mitchell with his explosive scoring. The fact that he's such a good shooter, the fact that he's, I think he and Morant are the best using the ball to penetrate and touch the paint and collapse the defense and then kick out to shooters basically. Um, they're similar in that regard. Morant, to me, this is tricky to describe, especially since we haven't seen him in the playoffs yet. But there's something about Morant where I feel—well, last season, um, what do you get? Six games or something? Five, four, four games? I think so. Oh, five? it was it was short? Yeah, it was it was, yeah. Yeah, it, was, yeah. a, it, was a, it was a short series. But this season, we haven't seen this level of Morant hit the playoffs, and yet when I watch this level of Morant against high-end defenses, I think oh, there's a guy who's going to be tough to stop in the playoffs. And I could see him, in a way, almost being more valuable as an offensive player in that postseason environment, both where your kind of defenses are more buttoned up, the intensity's there, the talent is better. Theoretically, coaches are going to be faster to yank weaknesses off the floor. And I still see Morant attacking, you know... The best kind of switching defenses, the best drop defenses. It doesn't matter. Attacking it very well. And he's not a player right now. This goes back to your point about shooting. He's not a player right now who can, I think, in any reasonable way, generate like 65% true shooting in the long run because he's just not a good enough shooter. But he's such a good finisher and he's so consistently solid with the little floater, the short mid, all that, all the stuff he does when he gets deep in the paint that I think you get into the playoffs and you get to go against a good defense. And if you're around 60% and you're scoring at the volume that Moran is and you're playmaking at the volume that Moran is, uh, I mean, yeah, that's that's really fantastic.
1: I buy every single sentence that you just said. However, the one thing that I'm just, I don't want to say I'm docking him, that I think I'm bumping Mitchell on is that I still want to see it. And whether or not you think that's fair... I, I I completely agree. He's he's in a range for me that Morant could be a little bit higher, but I want I want to see it in a sustained playoff performance first. But I buy everything that you just said.
0: Okay, so he is also a player. Well, I think if I had to pick, if I had to pick a tenth player, which I don't really like doing, it's not that fun. But if you said pick a tenth player on the list, it could be Morant or one other guy that we haven't talked about. But Morant Mitchell. Even Chris Paul, Tatum, I could see all these guys really in a group anywhere from 7 to 14 probably. I think if your high side wants to put them up at the back of the top 10, you can. And if your low side um, you know, doesn't take them down too far. They're all amongst the top 15 offensive players in the league based on everything I'm seeing right now and based on what I think we're going to have going into the postseason. There's one other guy in that group that we haven't mentioned that we're just, it's, it's it's a fan base that takes bad news very well um cody who, who do you <laughs> uh, if you're not watching this on on uh on a visual cody has a pained like an extremely pained face right now i i feel like you just based on your face must have the same player sort of in this group that's not in that tight top seven or eight pack that we've alluded to
1: don't make me say the name. Please, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna make you. This is your podcast. You say the name. I'm gonna get in trouble anyway, no
0: matter what. Um, Okay, we're talking about Joel Embiid. This is unbelievable.
1: I cannot believe we're actually talking about Joel Embiid together
0: right now. Yeah, well, we have to talk about Joel Embiid. He's a phenomenal offensive player. He is, but I think there's like at least six or seven offensive players who I'm not only am I more comfortable, but even it's hard for me to get like a high range of Embiid. That let's say cracks the top five offensive players, and I think the tricky part of this conversation, which is where I would allow or or welcome some putback, not from Philadelphia fans, but from any anyone else, um, is that hi Philadelphia, uh, like his scoring is so good that maybe you could argue it kind of breaks our conventional idea of scoring first with lagging playmaking. And his playmaking continues to improve. It's it's been better this season. I think there was a lot of talk about how it was better last season. I think it was only marginally better last season. Like I didn't see a ton uh you know maybe here and there I thought he was starting to get a little better, but this this is the year to me we're starting to see um a little bit more in the playmaking department. So on one hand like he is a ridiculously good offensive player. On the other hand, I think high-level playmaking and sort of two-pronged attacks with scoring and playmaking is so valuable that it's hard to get him above, like I said, about six or seven guys. And in addition to that, when you think about something like how players fit together and how how they build together, uh, Embiid, it's not that he would be a poor fit, but he does do so much of his scoring with sort of like you have, to, you have to tilt the floor a certain way for him and get him into his post-ups, and it's just not quite as fluid as what I would think of as like a highly, highly scalable offensive player or something like that. That's kind of where I land on Embiid. Do you have anything to add to that?
1: Yeah, so Embiid was—so you have a box creation stat in your backpicks database, and I was texting you about this earlier this week where he, along with, with one other player— uh really high like historically high for a big man like you compare for a big him man. Yeah. yeah when you compare him to other big men you compare him to Shaq and Olajuwon, Karl Malone any of these guys Kareem uh it was like double like double some of those and i was like if this is the case like if this statistical anomaly is the case there's a chance that like Embiid is a top 3 offensive player in the league yeah
0: and yeah but what's what's well what's really interesting is you texted me about this and having seen enough Philadelphia games what what was my initial reaction when I when I saw that number? You were basically like, I think this is overstated because of
1: the three point line, essentially. Yeah, this is overstated, yeah. and
0: and it right and and it's not the kind of thing that all players in the three point era would have a thing with. It's the combination of the three point era and the fact that Embiid himself now shoots a ton of threes. So in a sense, this estimate would be looking at him and thinking he's almost like a LeBron or a Luka Doncic in the style that he plays. But just from watching Philadelphia, I, I still don't think he does enough. And you actually went and I think you hand-tracked like a few hundred possessions, right?
1: Yeah, I went through and it was about 200 Philly or Embiid f- possessions for Philadelphia to see like how much he's creating advantages. And this is basically like, how is he actually bending the defense in a way that's opening up open shots or creating free throws for his teammates? And uh, I think the the actual stat is he's around 11. I think he's 11.3 for box creation. That's, that's the
0: estimate. Yeah, that's the estimate. That's the which estimate. means... Right. So for those unfamiliar, what that means, it's just an estimate that says 11% of the time on offense, you create an open shot for a teammate by bending the defense to you in some way that's abnormal. Like Think of it as a double team, a shift, something like that. It, it, it used to just be double teams in the post, but now it's defenses are more complex. So if you're moving that low man into the paint to help out, things like that. Um, and so 11% is really good. It's historically good for a big But what did you end up finding in the estimate, which I think was my original, you know, I think it's closer to what we actually see with with Embiid. Yeah,
1: it was closer to seven from what I was seeing. It was a little bit closer to that seven, seven and a half range. And the passes that he was making felt a lot more reactive, like a double team is coming and he makes the right pass. Um, He takes out on the break. The entire defense needs to converge on him because here's this 300 pound Embiid charging at the rim so everyone has to converge and he makes the right kick out. It didn't seem like a lot of manipulation to create open shots for teammates. So uh, while I do think this is probably his best passing season because I think he's, um, he's in a lot better positions to make those reads, I still don't think he's a great passer. He's not a passing hub, so to speak, as a big man.
0: I mean, there are a couple other interesting points to hit with him for me. One is, I think his regular season, you can make an argument his regular season offense is better than what I'm crediting him with here. But I think if you're going to do that, you have to acknowledge that his regular season defense has come down. Um, the reason why that's so important is, especially when you think about your guy, like if you're listening and Embiid is your guy. And again, I, I think pretty highly of Embiid. Um, he's going to end up very high on my, my final season rankings this season. What you tend to do sometimes is you give, you give the guy his cake and he gets to eat it too, which means people might give Embiid his regular season props and say like, well, maybe in the regular season, he's more like a top five or six offensive player. Okay, but then you have to discount his defense. And what people do is they give him both. They say, well, I've seen this regular season, th- the flash in the regular season. And then also remember when Embiid's defense is the best? And if you put that together... And you actually give him that credit, then we need to stop the presses, we need to stop this podcast, we need to have a whole new podcast, and we need to talk about Joel Embiid as one of the three or four greatest basketball players in the history of the world.
1: That's exactly it. What you, you can't you can't say, like, all right, if he's a top five offensive player, but also like a possible defensive player of the year candidate, right. like all of a sudden yep. revolting him into whatever territory, like Jordan and LeBron and all of them. Yeah, like legit yeah. legitimate
0: Unicorn. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's unicorn territory. And um, the
1: other thing, the other thing is there's another big that's going to be coming up, and you say that Embiid is just a special score. This um, other big might be a better score. There's a couple bigs that might be better scores, and I think it depends on uh, how you value scoring. And I'm interested to see how we get there. For the record, I wanted, John Morant yeah. is number 11 on my list, Embiid was number 10 on my list. I do not recommend putting numbers I'm putting numbers. I am
0: here. I really do not recommend doing that because what will happen is the people on Reddit will then attribute those numbers to me. All right, it's good content. Go for it. You put out all the numbers. Reddit, one, (laughs) zero
1: for Embiid.
0: (laughs) Uh, I like the way you read that, like a restaurant order at like a main seafood mart. Um, that was fantastic. Um, one zero now, now on order. Okay. Let's talk about more bigs. Cause I think the bigs are fascinating. I think they're fun. I think there are a number of awesome offensive bigs right now, but again, outside of like Shaq and Kareem and, you know, Charles Barkley, it's really hard. I think to be a big and be in the conversation for like top 10 or 20 offensive player of all time. Um, the next big I want to talk about is Karl-Anthony Towns.
1: Number nine on my list, <laughs> right above t-
0: Joel Embiid. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so funny. I haven't seen Cody's list. Oh, but <laughs> apparently, I'm in lockstep. with. Apparently, your list was the outline for this episode. So Towns, he is obviously one of the best outside shooting big men ever. Um, in the mid-range and kind of diversity of shooting and all that stuff, I think there's other guys that you could put in there but just his three-point shot the release the fact that he can get it off so quickly the step back the volume the the percentages i mean he he's absolutely ridiculous cody and on wide open threes we've talked about it when we did our three-point episode on wide open threes for the last three seasons carl anthony towns is shooting 45 percent on wide open threes (laughs)
1: And I think what makes him particularly tough, we may have talked about it on the shooting episode, but when he's, when he's popping or trailing a play, like, it kind of doesn't matter who's defending him, right? Like, you, you really can't contest a Towns shot. I think the thing that really helps, A, he's, he's huge, so when he shoots, his release point's really high. But the second thing is he doesn't jump very much on his, on his release. Like, Embiid kind of has nope. this smooth jumper where he hangs in the air for a second. Towns just kind of has this, like, almost Marcus like, tippy-toes, launch it. Quick, it's over. Like, you, you can't contest that. So even if you are defending him, that 45%, I don't know what it drops down to, but it's still a really, really good shot, and it causes all kinds of gravity issues for the other team.
0: I think I, I alluded to this with Embiid in terms of fit, and I don't think it's it's poor per se, but I like uh, Towns, just a little bit more in terms of another piece. And you almost see that in what's going on in Minnesota this season, where they've really turned a corner offensively, and you have a blend of shooters and slashers and passers, and Towns is shooting. And then if you go to a post touch with Towns, he can make a quick move or hit a cutter, uh, does so much on the outside. And so he is someone who can create some offense he can play off the ball he can be a primary focal point in some possessions his volume is a little lower but his efficiency is fantastic this season 27 points per 75 on plus 8% true shooting which is which is fantastic and just to compare that to Embiid Embiid is plus 4% true shooting but as i said Embiid has one of these volume things which you know could th- could break the meter if you will Embi- Embiid is at 34 points per 75 possessions this year, which even with the league environment, when you adjust it,
1: is still going to come out to one of the highest volume scoring regular seasons ever. I think the other thing about Towns, and I think this is the underrated part of him, is his driving ability as a big man might actually be more of an outliner than his shooting ability. Because when you look at Raw, like the amount of times that he drives, like per 75 possessions, he might be the only big man that's over eight. He might be the only big man that's over seven. Like we're talking about a guy that, if, if you get a slower big on him, he is charging to the basket. And he's one of the most athletic finishers. I don't think he's, he's not necessarily one of the best finishers, but again, kind of in this John Morant mold. And I'm not saying he's like John Morant like this. He doesn't have that sort of bag of tricks. But as a big man, I don't know if we've ever really seen somebody that size be able to take it to the hoop like he does. He, he, he posterizes guys. He draws fouls. He gets very angry when he doesn't draw fouls. Uh, I don't know. So I think that combination of like, if you close out too quickly, he's going to drive. And if you don't close, out quickly enough he's gonna hit a three so I think that back and forth on his game is really valuable
0: is this like equal opportunity offender day we're just we're just gonna make sure we get every fan base slightly agitated by every player we cover for their team um Towns by the way 67% at the rim and you mentioned the drives you pulled it he's got about eight drives per 75 just for comparison. Durant is under 10. He's at 9.5. LeBron is at 8.5. Chris Paul is about 12.5. So Emb- Embiid is at 6. So this is a guy who, again, going back to what I was saying about fitting in as one of the nodes in a flowing offense, he, he doesn't just... Um, shoot at the top of the key off the catch. He can also put it on the deck and attack. And I think that's been a dynamic part of his offensive attack. And now with what's going on, Minnesota has moved up to one of the better offenses in the league. And now Towns's offensive on court rating this season is one eighteen and a half. (laughs) Which is just I'm still not used to these numbers, Cody.
1: No, absolutely not. Especially lately. It's like, oh the last twenty games, so and so has been one twenty or something like that. It's like what's happening? Yeah.
0: Okay. Um can we do the next big man as well? Can we just go on a big man run? Is that a, does that work
1: for you? Yeah. So Embiid was 10. Towns was 9. Uh, Giannis <laughs> is my number 7.
0: Okay. Giannis, to me, is also kind of in this group. Um, I think, if anything, actually, I see... Well, I talked about Embiid, how potentially his volume scoring could... Could tilt a little bit higher. I think Cat, with some of his shooting and passing and overall stuff that we just talked about off the ball, is really interesting to bring him a little bit higher. Giannis also in this group that is, I guess, outside the top seven, um, or if I bring them up, they kind of get to the back of the top seven. I love what I'm seeing from Giannis this season that we covered last episode with him as a screener, him off ball, uh, all the way the Bucks are using him. I, I just, it reminds me a little of David Robinson, how you can make a centerpiece part of your offense without him always being the decision maker or touching the basketball. Jokic is the centerpiece in Denver, but he constantly gets the ball back when he plays two-man action or chases the ball and sets up a pick and roll, meaning he passes it to one of his guards or he hands off with one of his guards and he's just back in the screening action and then he gets the ball back to make the decision. Giannis doesn't have to get the ball back. Giannis just rolls downhill and his finishing and his gravity or he gets the ball back and he runs another handoff with Drew or Chris, as we discussed last week. I love all that. And then I do like that. He's added a little mid range thing. I do think his passing has continued to get, I think tighter is the right word, right? Like it's not that he's constantly improved his vision and he's hitting new passes. You've never seen. They're just more accurate, more timely, a little bit earlier, um, he's hitting all the subtle things. I mean, if he comes out in transition and a defender cheats over a step or two on a wing, boom, whips it to the wing for an early open three. I like all that. I, I think we're talking about, uh, obviously, one of the best offensive players in the league and a guy who ends up in this kind of same sort of tier or category for me.
1: So I think that's really interesting about Giannis is like if, if we take these these four big men that kind of make up the best offensive big men, we have, we have Jokic, Towns, Embiid, Giannis. I think out of all of those... If I were to have the big man create the offense solely as like the main creator, Giannis might be fourth in that list. There's a chance yeah. that he's fourth in that list. But I think his, his off-ball stuff, his ability to screen, definitely the fact that he's a great roller, definitely transition if we're including transition. I think he is at least head and shoulders above the other three in terms of those things. I think he's easily the best roller there. He's easily the best transition player. And I, I like the fact that he's able to flow in and out of these, and he's able to coexist really well with these other all-star level offensive players and Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton. So I think those things together, when you combine them, makes an offensive player that's just a just a hair above Townsend and Bede like I wouldn't quibble too much if somebody ranked one of them above above Giannis I think they are all in that a little bit of that same range but I do think that Giannis maybe even the best passer of those three not Jokic obviously but a better passer than the other two Um, I think all of that combines into an offensive player that's just a little bit better
0: it's interesting I think I maybe just from having seen it I think I would trust Giannis Ball more than like a cat heavy I, I like what Cat can do mixing with other players and having a partner one thing the Bucs have done with sort of their version of Giannis Ball is less of what we saw a couple of years ago in the middle of the floor five out and more getting an empty side wing and you saw this a lot in the playoffs and especially building through the finals where they said hey instead of attacking in the middle of the floor where defenses can help off both sides or Giannis, if he goes to one way and hits a wall, has to worry about the spin coming back the other way. They just put him on an empty wing, and he goes so fast. And when he gets his shoulder down, he's like a running back, a fullback. When he gets his shoulder down and he gets an angle, then his strength becomes an issue. So I almost like that better if we're just talking about the, the big man as the centerpiece of the offense. But I, I agree with you. I think um, we're, we're, on the, we're on the same page here when it comes to these bigs. Now I think it's time to transition away from the l- large giants of the world and get to the heavy hitters. Let's 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 get to the let's get to where it really gets serious. Um, man, this next player's tough for me.
1: Who, who are you gonna, for, for the record, Donovan Mitchell is number eight for me. He's in the middle of these guys. That's where Donovan Mitchell you, landed. You want to make sure you get that yeah. that list down. I want to make yeah. sure I have that list down. Okay, who are you going to say?
0: Number number zero eight, Donovan Mitchell zero zero eight at the counter um I want to talk about James Harden
1: next oh my god
0: <laughs> actually I'll let you talk about him because right before we recorded you said I really want to talk about James Harden
1: wait you're saying that you have him a little bit above the guys we just talked about
0: you don't have him in the top 15
1: um I have him in the John ja Morant zone of like 11 12 ish okay okay but okay okay let me, let me talk about this a little bit Harden is really interesting because there is evidence. He's, he's super uh, he's interesting. Fascinating, yeah. wonderful guy. It's, for, first of all, it's tough to separate all of, the, all of the things we're thinking about with him in terms of off-the-court things. It's tough to separate the defense, which has been historically terrible for him. When you take all of that away, there is evidence of Brooklyn having a strong offense with him involved, whether it be next to other stars, whether it be him on his own. Uh, the 76ers, when he and Embiid are on the court, I thought I remember pulling this, and it was like a 125. When he's all, when a beat is off the court, it's still like a 118. His numbers in, in Philadelphia are incredible. Like, it's it's unbelievable. He's scoring like 34 on plus seven when a beat is off the court. It's getting well, like- those
0: are the old yeah, those are the old kind of lone star James Harden numbers. Yeah. And so here's what's so fascinating to me. He is being officiated, as far as I can tell. And this is Like The only measurement I have for this is watching film and analyzing it and slowing down plays and things like that. I think he's getting the friendliest whistle of his entire career, which is so ironic given the points of emphasis to start the season. But there's been like a rubber band effect. And it was already happening probably a little bit in Brooklyn. But now since I don't know if it's just being on Philadelphia or it's everything that's happening with the officiating in the league that we've talked about, but his foul rate, Cody since he went to the 76ers is absolutely off the charts. His free throw rate, the peak of his career before this season was 59%. Meaning the number of free throw attempts, 59% of free throw attempts per field goal attempt. I'm, att- I'm explaining that in the worst possible way. Um, <laughs> it, it, it means that he takes 0.9 free throws for every shot. Okay. That was his career high. Do you want to? Do you want to guess what it is right now in Philadelphia? I don't. Just tell me the number, Ben. Just tell it to me. Um, it's point seven one. He's okay. <laughs> this means, like, like this is the this is the type of free throw attempt you would see from like Clint Capella or or Tyson Chandler or someone who just doesn't shoot except at the basket, running to the rim in advantageous situations, and the reason why. There's another reason why that specifically is so mind-boggling mind-boggling, and, and crazy compelling. Take a guess at how many two-point shots James Harden has had blocked this season. You don't want to guess again. I'm just going to tell, tell you. Me, tell me. 17% of his two-pointers are getting blocked. 17%. So when you look at James Harden, he is an anomaly on top of an anomaly right now because very few players... Ever hit this free throw rate, and very few players who are ever fouled, um, excuse me, ever have their shot blocked a lot. Even have good foul drawing rates because when you have your shot blocked a lot, you're not very good at finishing around the rim. And from what I can tell, James Harden is actually not very good at finishing around the rim. He's just he's just getting the craziest whistle in the history of the entire NBA. And the reason why he's fascinating is we've basically seen two molds of basketball this season. And as a result, I think we've seen two different levels of effectiveness from James Harden this season. Passing obviously is very good. Um, All the things he can do as a floor general, pick and roll, things like that. All that's there and more of a constant. But what that leaves me with as a question going into the postseason is which one of these styles of basketball are we going to see called? And, There's such extreme outcomes. If he gets the whistle he's getting in Philadelphia and he plays this way, I think he's one of the best offensive players in the world. If he doesn't, I think it's going to look almost
1: borderline ugly. Do you think that Harden's offensive effectiveness in past years has gone down in the playoffs versus the regular season? I think 2018, 2019,
0: 2020, Harden, to me, is his peak offensive um, sort of period precisely because I think he was developing more counters in the playoffs uh and i think i think yes relative to his insane regular season he always goes down but his regular seasons have been so high for such a long time that i think especially in like 19 and 20 he did a he did a pretty good job of remaining effective on the floor as an offensive weapon
1: is uh is the main reason for that because foul rates go down in the playoffs or what do you see being the the thing that brings him down a bit in the playoffs
0: Well, some of that is foul rates. Some of that is the um, kind of absurdity of some of his foul draws. Some of that is, we've seen it in series where he's trying to get landing space fouls on three-point shots and because of all the bickering back and forth you know some one team sends a memo the warriors send a memo then the rockets send a memo then the warriors send a counter memo it's like one game he'll get five landing space calls and then he won't get one for four games and there's all sorts of uh, zapruder film investigations about it i he's never been a like when he was younger he had way more pop as an athlete but as he's gained weight and lost a little athletically the fact that he doesn't have a mid range game back to the basket game can't kind of rise up and shoot over people. He has to find a way to use angles and tricks and things like that around the basket. And when he has space, he's good. And when he's added the floater in the last couple of years, I think that's helped. But I think that's the gist of it. Like you just get, you just get in the playoffs where there's better competition and better defenses. And it's, harder to just
1: scorch him like you're playing Sacramento on Wednesday or something. So I think that's the thing that brought him down for me is we have this history of him uh, tailing off a little bit in the playoffs. Uh, from the eye, it seems like he's not burning players as much. He's not getting the blow-bys that I'm used to seeing. He's kind of using a little bit more physicality. He drives more like a bowling ball. Um, his, his, finishing, <laughs> his finishing at the rim is the second worst of his career behind his rookie season. I think all of those things combined, I just feel like we're going to see a, a drop-off in the playoffs and I, just, I didn't think he could crack my t- top 10 based on what everyone else is doing I can I understand again I understand this argument I don't think anyone that has Harden higher is crazy because he does have some pretty intriguing numbers through this season um but I'm I'm nervous about his offensive impact in the playoffs
0: yeah so that means that you kind of have a big six is that is that right okay I have a big six yeah and I think for me the the guys these six other guys um I don't know if I want to say they clearly separate themselves as the six best offensive players, but I see the highest ceilings for them in general. I think the highest of them, I think sort of probably all around, both statistically and even at this point on film, they're probably the most impressive offensive players we have in the game, at least to me. Uh, let's start with LeBron James. Where, where did you, do you have him closer to the top of this group or the bottom of this he
1: group? He ended up at uh, number five for me okay <laughs> he ended up at number
0: five
1: and and who's number six so this this is a player that got me into trouble for the
0: point wait a guard second rankings. wait a second can i wait a second yeah i'm gonna take a guess at who you have at number six yeah do you have luca at number six yeah what is going on cody
1: what is happening I just, I I can't get over some of his shot selection and the fact that he's not as efficient of a scorer as these other guys, and maybe that's unfair. And here's the, I called out last time on the point guards ranking. It's like, dude, you're being way too negative about these guys, so I'm trying to put this all in the positive spins, trying to say some nice things. Luka Doncic is a brilliant passer. He really is. He uses his physicality to get to the rim. He gets his spots well. But when we compare his scoring if his efficiency, not scoring volume, but his efficiency next to some of these other guys, it's just not a guy that I see as being able to get as much value from that scoring punch as the other five that I have above him.
0: Hmm. What if that changes in the playoffs? What if he consistently, what if he's 57 or 58% in the regular season and consistently 59 or 60% in the playoffs? How would that change how you feel about him? And I ask because... I think that's where my brain is starting to go with Luca. It's like, okay, there's some fat you could cut with shot selection, but if you're going to play this luca style ball, which is is what he's been playing for a couple seasons now, his ability to control the tempo of the game, to pick teams apart with passing, to kind of keep you on a yo-yo and balance you with his shot selection, and maybe he's you know maybe he's losing a little extra efficiency just from the ball coming back to him at the end of the offense i don't know but i don't think of him it's kind of like tatum i don't think of him as a low efficiency player despite the fact that he does lag behind a little bit in having that like we have not seen that high end gear from him we have not seen that 64% true shooting gear from
1: luca so i think framing him as a low efficiency player from what I'm saying that I don't want to quite say that I think comparatively to these other guys, again, this is like, I'm I'm an English teacher here, right? When I, when I give somebody a 97% on a paper, like, I feel like I have to say all these negative things so they don't come back to me and be like, why didn't I get a 100%? As opposed to being like, my guy, <laughs> I just gave, I just gave you a 97%. Like, that's really good. And that's how I feel about Luka right now is I don't have anything against Luka. I just right now, because of that scoring punch, I think his passing is is right up there with being able to man- manipulate and figure out the defense. But comparatively, with the scoring punch involved, with the off-ball abilities involved with some of these other guys, I couldn't quite get him to, to raise up a little bit more. But I buy that. Like, if he shows me another season in the playoffs like that or another two seasons in the playoffs or makes a big run, I have no issue jumping him up a couple spots.
0: Okay, so I like Luca a little bit more than Trey. I it's one of those things where you could summarize it by saying I trust him more, but there's a lot more probably nuance under the hood there. I think the low end, the the most pessimistic evaluation of both players. I slightly prefer Luca, and I could see Luca having a higher gear and a higher end in the postseason as well. A lot of that probably comes down to his size. Uh, going back to what I was saying about being able to control the game, being able to attack many different styles of defense, and in the playoff series, use all of his skills, his advantages, his size, his passing um, to kind of break. I'm very interested to see whoever he gets in the first round here. Like it looks like they're they're matching up with Utah. Uh, is Utah going to stay in the typical kind of Rudy Gobert funnel defense that they play and how will Luka attack that? I I tend to trust him a little bit more than someone like Trey, even though I assume what you're going to say with Trey is like, well, Atlanta doesn't exactly have the greatest offensive players out there, but look at the offensive rating gap between the Hawks and the
1: Mavericks. Trey and Luka are really difficult for me. When we're talking about offensive load, which is just, if you're using usage right now, switch to offensive load. It's just, it's a little bit better to talk about how much more, how much, what percentage of offensive plays a player is involved with. Uh, third on this list of all the guys that we're really talking about today, John Morant is about, has an offensive load of about 55. Both Trey and Luka are a shade above 62. So they are orders of yeah. magnitude higher in terms of how much they are just controlling the offense. Um, how? What is your? This is, this is all
0: this is all time. Yeah, that's just just to be clear. That's like all time level heliocentrism. That's like everything goes through those two guys.
1: And that, I think that kind of hurts them in my mind a little bit. I like Trey a little bit because he is a bit more of an efficient scorer from that position. I buy the fact that he might not be in the playoffs because not a great finisher on drive, not a bad finisher on drives, but not as good of a finisher on drives. Smaller players generally lose a little bit of that value in the playoffs versus somebody that's built like Luka. Um but I don't know. I don't know how to consider these guys that are just like so controlling the offense because I have a couple guys ahead of this that I'm, I, I'm giving them the nod because they're so much better off ball than these guys.
0: I, I should be clear, despite Cody's insistence that we call out the order of these players. Uh, in, numerically, I should be clear that I almost, my evaluation of these guys on offense is almost identical. It's very, very similar. And, Some of that might be exactly what you're talking about, where they both play this extreme, heavy, central decision-making hub role. Um, I do obviously think Trey is a better shooter. Who's a better passer? I don't know. That's something I may may try to take a deep dive on and settle in the near future. But we are, I, I think, at this level, these guys, what I can say is they are fairly comfortably ahead of the big men and the other players we've talked about. They're very, very close between the two of them, and yet I don't think uh, I don't think I could have either of them in my top two or three right now. That's kind of how I feel about them.
1: I 100% agree. So my official ranking with this, I had Luca at six, LeBron <laughs> at five, and Trey at four. Okay, okay. I had
0: LeBron in this group as well. I think at this point in time, I obviously talked about LeBron a lot in his video recently. I think I probably would bank on Luka and Trey a little bit more than LeBron um you know LeBron is obviously in a very strange situation and if you put him in a more competitive situation I I'm not quite sure the numbers would be quite as good and then the other thing is as he gets older um like a two-month playoff run sounds a lot harder for LeBron than one of those two guys okay so that kind of leaves us. We've done a good job staying on track on time today for the first time ever. That that that's cause for celebration. So see, it doesn't matter how many fan bases are mad at us because we're gonna get out of here fast. So it's like the old uh, the old lead in from Annie Hall, where the two guys are having restaurant uh, uh, dinner at a restaurant in in a, like the mountains somewhere, and one of them says to the other, "You know the, the 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 food here is terrible," and the other one says, "Yeah, but the portions are so small." <laughs>
1: I don't know when you said the lead-in with with two guys sitting and eating at a restaurant. I immediately thought of Reservoir Dogs, but that wasn't the point you were trying to make. But
0: uh, no, no, I was just saying we're all. gonna get we're gonna get out yeah. of here if if people are angry. Um, okay, so it sounds like you agree with sort of the top three offensive players in the league right now, and by process of elimination, that must be Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, and Nikola Jokic. Yes, absolutely. Okay, um, I think Jokic is essentially an unassailable number one. I mean, I don't want to get too tight with the range or too dogmatic, but I, whether I go low-end, high-end, change other, it, it doesn't matter. Like, I think Jokic is in an historical class right now. I, I, the only way I'm going to come down off that in any significant manner that makes him, you know, is he number two, is he number three, is if I see something in the playoffs that really concerns me. I, I, do, I do feel like maybe... The Suns with the with Monty Williams, the defensive talent they have, and specifically an athlete like DeAndre Ayton, I they might be the first team that I will really comfortably say like, oh, that team can possibly slow down a Nikola Jokic machine, a Nikola Jokic system. Um, outside of that, I I just think he's number one.
1: Yeah, my my one and two are actually in their own separate tiers. Like number one, Jokic is in their own tier, and then number two, he's in his own tier here. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm not spoiling just yet, even though we just talked about know. number one. Um, so,
0: yeah. So I, two and three are, are much trickier for me. Okay, um, But I will. I, I actually I think I can guess who your number tier number two. Well, I shouldn't say that. Maybe I I mean, I have a 50 percent chance, but I may have it completely wrong. But I ended up with my number two feeling two and three very hard to kind of sort out for me but two looks to me more like oh he's comfortably like it's harder for me to put him at four or five whereas the other guy in this group I think at this point still he still has kind of a wide range in my head because of the nature of the season and if you told me like at the end of the year that I was going to take one of the other guys we've talked about and bump him down I could see
1: that as well. Who, who are you talking about there? There was a lot of mystery and intrigue in that sentence.
0: Should we just end the podcast? Should we just leave the, the mystery and intrigue? Um, yeah, you and, can all just
1: guess who two and three are. Just figure it out.
0: I think, that, I think that's how we should do these from now on. <laughs> top, top 10 defensive players next week, and uh, you can guess what, what our order is and move on. No, I, I think I'm a, a little bit more comfortable with Kevin Durant at number two.
1: Oh, wow. This is exciting. Okay. I have Curry at number 2. Yeah, I
0: think Curry's has a Curry has a wider range to me. Okay. Um and there's part of me that doesn't completely know what to make of like playoff Curry right now because last season I think we saw something incredible where he he has added weight and he's added you know, some tricks to his game, can't get away with as many this season because of the points of emphasis. Although someone should send a memo to Golden State and let them know that you can do that now. He could get like six three-shot <laughs> fouls a game by just ju- jump. <laughs> Cody, help me, please. No. I, please talk I, me off the ledge. I shan't. <laughs> you shan't. Um, where, where was I? So there's there's this sort of going back even to 2019 where I thought he was fantastic in the last couple rounds in the playoffs against a really great Toronto defense and and not much help at times there's this thing where the 2022 playoffs are coming down the pike will he have picked up those skills and that experience on the reps that so many great players get and then later in their career demonstrate in the postseason he's not as quick as he used to be he can't get by guys as much as he used to be, but something he's done in the last couple months is he's gone back to the mid-range a little bit. That that game theory aspect. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to just only go to the rim where you can load up and then run back out to three. I'm going to stop at 15 and take what for him is like a 55% pull-up jumper. I think if he blends all that in and the shot is there and the Warriors are healthy, I could see us gushing um, about Steph Curry's offense in a couple months and just being like, yeah, he's in the can. You know, we should talk about him as still being one of the great offensive players ever at his prime still. On the flip side, I think you can see the signs of degradation and um, that has me slightly concerned.
1: Okay. So I think the thing with Curry, the main thing that I'm I'm still thinking about is I still have like this gravity idea of him from the last couple of years. And I don't know if that's fair. Like I have this immense, like, Teams are just, like, loading up on him when he goes off ball, opening up, like, these wide-open layups, opening up these wide-open three-point shots for his teammates, and I've seen that a few times this season, and I just don't see that level of defensive attention being given to anybody else, and I don't know if that's that's fair of me, I don't know if it's because I'm not seeing specific, specific statistics where I can compare it to what I'm seeing, uh, but from the eye test on that, I'm like, nobody draws this kind of attention in the league. And because of that, he, he's vaulted up beyond pretty much everyone else. And even though he's having a down year, even though Kevin Durant with the ball in his hands is probably a more effective offensive player this year, that immense, like unbelievable, never seen before off-ball gravity to me is just so enticing that I don't, I, I, can't, I can't quit it right now. I can't quit it.
0: <laughs> well, the thing is, I 100% agree with everything you just said, but... There is a component of Curry historically that arguably, especially in the regular season, is one of the greatest scores of all time. I mean, we were we started this by saying like Embiid's this ridiculous score, and there are all these players who arguably are are better scorers, or at least equal. Uh Kevin Durant is certainly one. We talked about it with some of the big men. Jokic has better scoring stats. Jokic is like 30 points per seventy five on uh what like plus ten percent um True shooting, relative true shooting. But here's where we are with Curry. We are still talking about a fantastic score. But just to, just to put a very specific number on a very specific, large, important category, Curry's scoring this season is 27 points per 75 on plus 4% true shooting. Again, that's really good. But just to, just to you know orient ourselves to where this guy has been, Cody, last season... 32 points per 75 plus 9% true shooting. So you, Cody just fell out of his chair. Um, You are talking about someone who I still think gets the defensive attention, and that's why he's up at the top here for me. That's why I think you are still talking about the sort of most scalable, like ultimate offensive weapon just to drop in on any team, even still at this point. The way defenses respond to them, him and the way he can hurt defenses just by constantly running around. Just an amazing endurance athlete at his age. And I think he's having his best passing season, if not ever, in like seven years. Without a doubt about that. He can play on ball and off ball. Therefore, he's creating a ton of offense and scoring well. I think that's a little bit worse than in the past where he's creating a ton of offense and scoring like like a
1: video game. That's sort of where I'm at. Here, here's what blows my mind about Curry, though. Like, this is his down year. You just compared it to himself from, from last year. He, he's plus four relative true shooting percentage. Here's some other guards in the NBA and their relative sh- uh, true shooting percentage. Donovan Mitchell, plus 1.5. John Morant, plus 1.2. Devin Booker, plus 0. 0.1. Tatum 0, Chris Paul 1.1, uh James Harden 2.7, DeMar DeRozan 2.5. Like he's still heads and shoulders efficiently better than pretty much any other guard, than literally any other guard in the NBA.
0: Yeah, that's pretty good. That's why he's that's why he's, you know, in this conversation at the top of the list. Um Durant by the way, his scoring numbers for this season, 29 points per 75 plus 7% true shooting. I will say a couple things on why I I end up with being a little a little more comfortable with Durant from the from a low end or from a floor perspective but I can see the argument for Curry passing him on the high end or if things going well Curry moving up a little bit more. With Durant you obviously get incredible sort of self-generated scoring, especially from the mid range. His mid, I mean, he's the dude shooting 90% from the free throw line. Now he's, he's, he's taking 13 mid range shots per 75 possessions, which blows my mind a little bit and making 54% of them, um, just for perspective. Cause I just talked about this with Seth Partnow on his podcast last week. That's basically exactly what he did in the Milwaukee series last year, where you're just like, Oh, how is this guy making all these shots? Well, what if he just did that for an entire season? Um, That kind of seems to be Kevin Durant at this point. And I think this is his best passing season ever. So you don't get the kind of sort of playmaking, carving up defenses. You don't get the exact same type of scaling, I think, that you get with Jokic or Curry, where I just think you drop these dudes in offenses and they're just savants. They're just, especially Jokic. Um, And of course, Curry with the off-ball stuff. Durant has some of that. Durant is a nasty off-ball player, Uh, and Durant as a shooter and kind of the effectiveness and and, um, quickness with which he can get into actions allows him to blend with other high-end offensive players and blend with ball-dominant players. I think in many ways, he made Russell Westbrook look better during their peaks because it's like, there isn't redundancy because Durant can kind of switch back and forth between being on ball and off ball. He has that hybrid element. And now you have a really good high-end playmaker um, because of all that scoring pressure. You have a guy who's passing and making reads well, but Still leaving stuff on the table a little bit as a passer, still soft arming too many passes. Um, I feel like sometimes if you if you know what you're doing and you're an elite defense, you can get up into him and bother him and chip away at that efficiency. Again, something I hashed out with Seth Partner last week is if you look at his playoff scoring for like six, seven, eight seasons when Steph Curry is not involved going back to Oklahoma City, you're talking about a guy who's like a thirty plus two score versus a thirty plus eight score. That's a that's a huge gap for me. So that's kind of where my mind goes with these players, um, looking at arguments on the on the pro side and the con side, and I think yeah, after everything we've talked about today, Jokic to me is that guy, but Curry and Durant really interesting conversation about sort of this other the other you know, the other great offensive
1: player in the league. I just checked my Google Notes doc where I have all my notes to make sure I didn't share it with you. It is unbelievable how you went like line by line with a bunch of things that I wrote for myself. Like, you do not have access to this, but, like, I literally wrote, Kevin Durant, best passing season ever, question mark, talking about this idea of, like, him as an off-ball threat versus an on-ball threat, because I think, I think from this conversation that people might be getting from both of us is that, at least the way that I think about it, the, the true quarterbacks, the Trey Young, LeBron, Luka, these, like, perimeter heliocentric guys that don't necessarily go off-ball and cause as much of a threat, I think they're, they're capping themselves a little bit right now. Prime LeBron's a different story, right, 2013-ish, 2015 or 17 LeBron or something like that different story, but right now he's capping himself with the level that he's playing at. Uh, Jokic, Steph, Durant, these guys that can toggle between, you know, maybe not necessarily being the main heliocentric threat on the same level as these other guys, but in terms of being a hybrid off-ball type of player, just multiple tiers ahead of anybody else, I think that's the sort of thing that gives them much more value, not much more, but more value on offense than everyone else.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's still there's still some question marks, I think, about whether you know what that cap is and what what expands the ceiling of this like heavy heliocentric style but the irony for me is that Jokic probably is the one who literally plays more like a solar system where he's in the middle of the court and guys run around him and stuff like that but of course as we've talked about before his actual time of possession is typically like half of what a Luka or a Doncic or even someone like Damian Lillard ends up with. And that just, like, that should that should floor you if you're not, like, literally half of the amount of time. Like, so if one of these guys has the ball for 13 seconds per half-court possession, that's not the exact number I'm making it up. Like, Jokic is at, like, seven. That's nuts. And that's kind of what he's able to do with his decision-making. But, um, Cody, I, I, I think we have, outside of the people in Denver, I think we've successfully accomplished our goal of agitating everyone today is there anyone else you would like to uh, is there anyone else you feel like we left out that you would like to bother with a with a comment before we depart what's hopefully been hopefully a productive conversation about all these great offensive players
1: yeah no I, I definitely don't want to bring up any other names I don't I don't
0: Okay. All right. Well, if you uh, want to support this show directly, head on over to patreon.com slash thinking basketball. We have a ton of sort of in-season leaderboard stats that update daily. That's what we were referencing and pulling off of today as we went through some of these big names. It's patreon.com slash thinking basketball. We also have a community. We have a monthly Q&A, Discord. We have uh, extra content. We have all sorts of stuff that I'm always forgetting about. Uh, that is the best way to support this show. Otherwise, hope you enjoyed this one. As always, thanks for listening. And uh, wherever you are, hope you're having a great day.